CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hello and welcome in to the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. Join like I am every Sunday during the football season. And you might see behind me, it's a, it's a bright day. The sun is shining. It's a great day in Kansas. The Jayhawks are going to go bowling for the first time since 2008 after their 37-16 win over Oklahoma State. On Saturday, that feels like a scoregami. I can't remember any games that were 37 to 16 in favor of KU uh, at least this century. But Kevin, Saturday, what what was your experience like? I guess kind of taking in the game. Yeah, I think uh, it was one of those things where you went in, um, and, and I think a lot of a lot of Kansas people were really optimistic because most most people felt like you weren't going to face Spencer Sanders and. And if you watched, you know, obviously the the K State game and the way that thing played out at the quarterback position for Oklahoma State, you felt like there was a chance that that Oklahoma State was going to move the ball. But I don't think anybody or, or a lot of people go in feeling like, okay, this is easy, done and dusted. Like Kansas is Kansas is no doubt going to win this game. And you know, you and I have seen. You covering Iowa State, me covering Kansas and, and Texas as well. Um, how many times have we seen a team start a quarterback who's had a week to prepare that you haven't really gotten a chance to prepare as much for, and he comes in and really plays well and you know mm-hmm. throws the ball well? Maybe your system isn't quite prepared for what that guy is is going to be able to do, and he winds up having a big game. And so I think. On one hand, you you felt like, well, you'd rather face that than face Spencer Sanders. But at the same time, you know, as that game played out, as Kansas started to add some breathing room, Kansas didn't really leave this one in doubt, right? Like, I mean, that was that was my main takeaway was Kansas kind of did what it was supposed to do and, you know, got the early lead, got the big halftime lead never really let the game be in doubt in the second half. What, what did you think from up in the press box? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think KU controlled it. I think going in, I knew – I wrote about this on the VIP kind of pregame piece that I do. You know, KU's running game was going to be able to get going against Oklahoma State. And if anything, over the first kind of three weeks of this season showed us is that if KU's running game gets going, it just opens up everything else for the offense. And that's why the offense was able to have so much success early in the season. And I think you look at the drive chart. We, we did a lot of that early in the season, right? Looking yeah. at kind of how many drives they had, how many touchdowns. Well, you know, KU punted twice, I believe, on, on Saturday. And there were some field goal drives as well. But KU got points a lot. And KU controlled the clock a lot. And so as a result, I don't think this is one of those where you look at the score and say, oh, wow, what an offensive juggernaut from Kansas. But in the end, like if you, if you actually watch the game, it was that. Key's offense never looked like it really had to strain. You know, some moments in the red zone left stuff to be desired, but I think just collectively you look at the offensive performance and it was a lot closer to what you saw in the first few weeks of the season than I think you've seen from Kansas 
really kind of since that Iowa State game, right? I think you look at the second half against TCU, it was really, really good then, but the first half wasn't great. And then there's just been inconsistencies with Jason Bean at the quarterback position. And, and Kevin, we talked about it on the podcast here. I'm of the belief you can win games with Jason Bean, but you need to play around him really well. And that's exactly what Kansas did. So I think for me, you look at this, and we, we talked about last week or two weeks ago maybe, has Kansas played a complete game yet? No. I think they just did that on Saturday. I think you look at all three phases of the game. Punting is kind of the one where I'm like, eh, okay, like not great. Maybe a, you know, six out of 10, five out of 10. But outside of that, you're looking at eight or nine out of 10s across the board, right? I think offensively, fantastic. I think defensively, you force, what is it, four turnovers? Like that's, a, that's an A game. You take the ball away from the team four times, you're going to win a lot of football games doing that. And then you look at Jacob Portchilla, a really solid game. I'd say probably one of the better ones of his career, right? Consistency making field goals, consistency making the extra points. So I think for me, you look at this team in this performance, I think the bye week did them a lot of, a lot of help. And I think as a result, it kind of propelled them to have what I consider to be probably their most complete game of the season. Yeah. I think, you know, the bye week is a good takeaway because I, I think uh, I made the the point on Twitter during the game even guys who weren't on the injury list, like Devin Neal, um, certain linebackers, guys like that, they were moving differently this week than when we last saw them in action. You know, there was more pep there, more pop, and, and you, and, and this was a team that we talked about last last time we did this, which I guess was two weeks ago. We talked about how the bye week could not have come at a better time. They were banged up. I mean, they really needed. To heal up and, and i think you know the the opportunity to do that was huge uh, i'm glad you you brought up the defense and not just the turnovers were huge obviously the other thing was up until the game was already decided they limited explosive plays incredibly well and one of the things that we've talked about on this show all year people are probably tired of us talking about it it is playing complimentary football and for this defense, what it means is don't allow five-play, 75-yard drives. Make it 15-play drives. And then you're adding extra plays for somebody to miss a block, for somebody to throw the ball where they shouldn't, for somebody to make a mistake, for you to make a good play, to put them behind the chains and potentially get off the field. I thought that was a was one of the better defensive performances of the year in terms of playing out to what they, they wanted to play. You know, they've been more shut down at times, you know, against Iowa state, which has kind of struggled offensively, but, but generally speaking, um, I, I think when you, when you look at the defense as a whole and sort of what your goal is, where you really want them to stretch things out and do things slowly, and not, you know, bite off 10-yard chunks over and over again. I, I thought the defense was was excellent. Yeah, I did too. And I, I think that's a really good point about the, the number of plays in each drive. Here's kind of a rundown. Also, I mean, four possessions in the second half period, that, yeah. was, that was like classic what you want to see from a team that is a bowl team. You control the clock and you limit the possessions in the second half. KU had like a seven-minute drive in the second half to start it, right? A seven-minute, 52-second drive to start the second half. That was one of those when once that happened, you're like, oh, yeah, this is totally over. There's zero chance Oklahoma State can come back because KU just always looked in control. But you look at the defense, right? Here's some of the drives. 
Seven plays, interception. Four plays, interception. Eight plays, punt. 15 plays, touchdown. Three and out. Seven plays, fumble. Half. 11 plays, field goal. 10 plays, touchdown. Six plays, interception. And 11 plays, field goal, that's a win for the defense. Yeah. Oh, of course. And, totally. and, and you know, and people say, oh, my gosh, they put up points or whatever. But when you when you – when you force them to take 10 or so plays and all of that, and all they're getting at the other end of it is a field goal, obviously not as good as a stop, not as good as a turnover, but at the same time, that's still a victory for the defense. And so that's a lot of victories, Michael. Mm -hmm. It is. And I think you look each level of defense, right? I think each kind of unit played really well. Yeah, I thought that the defensive line looked the best it has since maybe that Iowa State game. That unit kicked tail all day. I think there were a few times where you'd watch a run play from Oklahoma State and there'd just be a swarm of kind of blue jerseys. But then you kind of look at the numbers and it's like 53, 92, you know, 98, 93, like a bunch of defensive tackles, right? Yeah. Or the guys that were there. And then like a lot of Taylor and Tommy Dunn looked terrific at yeah. times yesterday. They really did. And where they've Jim Panagos deserves so much credit because from where they were at the start of the year, where they were they were potential, right? Like we were mm -hmm. talking on the show and we were saying, hey, late in the year, make sure you watch for Tommy Dunn and Caleb mm -hmm. Taylor and, and all these guys. And it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to be here, full eligibility on the line and have them play that way, have them rack up negative plays for the offense. I mean, what you, you were talking about the defensive line, and, and I'm sorry I cut you off. No, I just, that No, I mean, that was – that was something that jumped out to me was I, I thought that group was excellent yesterday. Yeah. And if you look at the talent gap, right, we've talked about that, right? Mm -hmm. Bigger, faster, stronger offensive lines. Baylor and Oklahoma gave KU a lot of fits. Oklahoma State's offensive line has struggled this year. There's no two ways about it. They've not been able to run the ball really well. But you've seen teams come into Lawrence that are struggling in certain areas and come out and still kick KU's butt. And to actually do it, I think, is the impressive part. And then you look at, like, the linebackers. Yeah. Right, Rich Miller, I thought, had an incredible game, right? Sideline to sideline. He had the interception. He had a sack at the first sack of his KU career. Lorenzo McCaskill, probably the best yeah. game he's played as a Jayhawk. I think you're yeah. looking at some of these guys as the season has come along. They're playing their best football right now. And obviously it's one game, one sample size. We'll see how it carries over to Texas Tech. But someone like Lorenzo McCaskill, I thought was pretty good against Oklahoma I uh, didn't really notice him as much against Baylor, but I think just overall trending, he, he's trending in the right direction. And then you look at someone like Craig Young in a game like this where they are running the ball a lot, I thought he looked pretty good. And then obviously the defensive backs as a whole, I mean, man, it, it's hard not to like what you have in, in someone like Kobe Bryant. I think down to down, maybe some of the coverage consistency might be better, but for someone like him to have the injury he had, um, Nathan Swaffer is going to write about this on the website today, but I was talking to Kobe after the game and I thought it was so fascinating. He thought his season was over when his ankle got rolled up on at Oklahoma, you know, when he's getting carted off the field and he has the air cast on, he said he wondered to himself, like, is this the end? Am I done for the year? And soon after trainer said, Hey, you'll be okay. You'll be able to come back at some point. And Kobe lived in the training room and sure enough, his first play back interception. Yeah. Those are cool moments, right? That's the stuff that why you love college football because of moments like that, right? And then you look at someone like Melo Dotson. I don't think he's had a great year, but to have that interception and, and to show some competitive fire there, I think throughout the course of the game was great. Kenny Logan was really good. Yeah. Um, you notice Marvin Grant laying the wood a couple times. I just think overall this defense 
the bye week, you could just see it. The speed, the physicality, I think, was back that maybe was missing against Oklahoma and Baylor. And so I think for me, when I project now the final kind of three games of the regular season and then, you know, the bowl game is very much its own thing. But the final three games of the regular season, I feel a little bit better about where the defense is at compared to maybe where I was for that Baylor and Oklahoma or Oklahoma game. Now, the backup quarterback, right? There's you have to kind of factor that in here too. But I remember Shane Illingworth coming in as a young guy, as an underclassman in 2020, right? You're like, oh, backup quarterback. Okay, maybe KU can be competitive. No, he carved up KU. So I think it shows the improvement that a highly thought of recruit who is an underclassman can come in and KU was able to shut him down and make him look like a freshman, right? I think that shows improvement compared to where KU was in 2020. Yeah, no doubt. And it, it's it, it's funny because I, I thought – I'm not saying the two biggest factors were the two backup quarterbacks, but I do think, like you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. Kansas having Jason Bean as a backup quarterback was a big upgrade over what Kansas faced on Saturday. And I want to I want to read something off to you real quick, okay? Okay, do it. Two and ten the season before. You return a quarterback who's going to be an honors candidate who makes you feel pretty optimistic. You had a whole bunch of transfers. You get off to a really strong start. You get to five wins really quickly, game away from bowl eligibility. You play the eventual Big 12 champions where your star quarterback suffers a shoulder injury. You lose a few games, and then you go on to clinch bowl eligibility. This year's team, also the 2003 Kansas Jayhawks. Mm -hmm. The difference between this team and that team, which was Mark Mangino's second year, so the second year of coaches as well, is that team needed Bill Whittemore to win a football game. And they didn't clinch ball eligibility until the final game of the season when Whittemore returned from his shoulder injury. Mm. Jason Bean was good enough for Kansas to win a football game. And, you know, depending on, on where Jalen is, you know, from here on out, obviously he's practicing, you know, that's that's a possibility. Jason Bean can help you win another football game mm-hmm. here if if need be. And I think that that was one of the primary differences between the 03 team and the 2022 team is, you know, that team needed Bill Whittemore. Otherwise, they, they were not going to be a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that Jason Bean, when you look at, at what he did, I'm not saying he had a perfect game. We've talked about the fact that, even when Jason Bean has played well, there have been maybe some plays that he's left on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, he ha- he hasn't been flawless, but at the same time, you look at uh, the response when Oklahoma State pulls, you know, relatively close, and then Jason Bean breaks off, you know, that seventy-plus yard play. I mean, what did you think when when he when he had that run in terms of you know sort of impact on the game as well as what Kansas was getting from Jason B. Well, I, I thought back to what we've talked about, Kevin, the winning plays, yep. right? Early in the season, there were moments where the game is in the balance and KU is able to take hold of it. I don't know if, K, if KU is able to do that two weeks ago before the bye week or even last year, mm-hmm. right? The moment where Oklahoma State goes and scores their first touchdown, then you go and respond with that long touchdown run from Jason Bean, and yep. then you force a three and out. 
that right there for me was when I felt like, okay, this is kind of the team that you saw early in the season with those winning plays in the winning moments. And I think Jason Bean deserves a a ton of credit. Yeah. I I think we talked about it. He did not look like someone that was thinking, I'm going to go run the ball right here when he came in against TCU, against Oklahoma, against Baylor. That was not who he was. And then I thought you saw yesterday when he saw the opportunity, he took it. And I think you saw some of that straight line speed that we've talked about. And Lance Leipold kind of said it post game where the coaches have been waiting for that moment. Even yeah. the coaches have thought this too. When is this going to happen? When is this guy going to show that elite top five track speed in the entire state of Texas? When is he going to show that? And that was the moment. And it turned out to be a huge play. I think for me too, the emotion that he showed after that. Jason yeah. Bean, if we're going to do it on a spectrum and compare him to past quarterbacks, right? Jason Bean is closer in terms of demeanor to like Peyton Bender. Yeah. Even Keel, not going to say a whole lot. And I think Jalen's probably closer to Carter Stanley if we're doing kind of quarterbacks in recent memory. To have that moment where you show that sort of emotion, that's going to fire up your team too because they know how stoic Jason is and how much he is a down-to-down, just all right, next play, do my job, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to make a fuss about it. For him to do that, I think, had a big impact on the rest of the team as well. So I think for me, that play, if I'm going to highlight one of them in terms of like, hey, this is where I kind of think the game really was when KU grabbed it by the scruff of the neck, I really felt like that was the one because that just hasn't been there. And I think you look at the passing for Jason Bean outside of that one YOLO throw he had that was a, an ode to Brock Purdy, like really good, right? 18-23. 203 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. That is a stat line that KU coaches want to see from Jason Bean every single week. Yep. The stat line against TCU is great and all, but for in terms of sustainable success as an offense, that is what they want to see. Because what does that show you? It shows that KU ran the ball and got Jason Bean in a position where he could pick his spots. And he's not perfect, right? There are still some throws to the flat routes that you're kind of scratching your head like, oh man, that wasn't pretty. But I think just in general, that was a good performance from Jason Bean. He deserves a ton of credit for sticking with it, not getting down on himself after two games where the offense kind of disappeared. And I, I think you see how important it is to have quarterback depth. And I think it showed for Oklahoma State the lack of quarterback depth. And and I think yeah. QB depth is what won the game for Kansas on Saturday. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, when we talk about Jason Bean leaving plays on the field sometimes – a lot of times they were in fairly big moments, right? Mm-hmm. Like where Kansas needed to have this drive, it's third and eight, and you need this guy to make a throw, and, and it didn't happen. Those were plays he made on Saturday, and, and he deserves so much credit for that. And, and, you know, he had help. Kansas's wide receivers made some incredibly clutch catches. How about that LJ Arnold, you know, Ooh. kind of reaching back behind him on that third down, you know, between two Oklahoma State guys? Luke Grimm, welcome back. I mean, he yeah. he had, you know, some big plays from from that standpoint. But, I mean, it, it was one of those things where when Kansas needed him to make a throw, the throw was generally there, mm-hmm. you know. And, and and I think that he, he deserves so much credit for that. You know, you made some good points on Jason Bean as a runner because I think there's almost kind of a fundamental misconception about Jason Bean as a runner because he is, you know, he is very, very fast, obviously very straight line fast. Um, He's not necessarily going to, you know, break somebody down 
you know, or whatever. But if he can cut, you know, he can cut back across the grain and make a guy miss that way. And all of that is to say, when you watch him run the option, there's a major difference between him and Jalen Daniels. You know, Jalen Daniels is more of a threat running the option than Jason Bean is, despite the fact that Jason Bean is a faster player, because it's a different kind of speed, athleticism, mm -hmm. decision-making, whatever else. And Jalen Daniels, he's a powerful guy too. And so he can make a guy miss. And I think one of the things that we've seen, you know, since Jason Bean took over, Kansas's option game has not been as effective as it was under Jalen Daniels. And that was a big part of the success that Kansas was having early was that option game. And so I also think, you know, kudos to the Kansas coaches for giving being, you know, sort of those carries where he can have the QB draw or QB power or whatever else, where he's not making that decision. It, it's a different kind of play where he knows he's running the ball and he can just get downhill. And, and I thought, you know, I thought they called that pretty well. Offensive line played really well yesterday um, with the exception of, you know, the goal line stand where, you know, they were kind of getting blown off the ball a little bit. Yeah. You know, obviously that was that was frustrating. You get it down to, you know, maybe the the half yard line or the one and have three downs from there to to punch it in. And you wind up, you know, getting stuffed, then losing yards and having to kick a field goal. You know, obviously that's that's not ideal. But overall they they played a great game. And then we've waited this entire time to talk about it. Devin Neal. Yes. Michael, Devin Neal thoughts. I've been able to see some good running backs yep. in the last five or six years, right? Khalil Herbert's playing in the NFL. Puka Williams was one of the most dynamic running backs I've ever seen. I spent two seasons covering Brees Hall, who is a first round or should have been a first round pick, but I was having a great season with the Jets before he got hurt. What Devin Neal did yesterday was the best individual performance I've seen. Better than any anything any of those guys have done. I think that says a lot about what he just did. And I think there are a few things that are impressive about it. You know, obviously for historical context, he's the first Jayhawk ever to have over 100 rushing yards and 100 receiving yards in a game. And then you could tack on the fact that, you know, he actually had 224 rushing yards uh, and 110 receiving yards for a good portion of the game. He had more total yards than Oklahoma state. Just incredible. And I think for me, you look at his workload and we talked about it in, in spurts, but I don't think maybe we talked about it enough where he was getting 15 carries a game. That was it. They were not maxing out his touches. And I think that the Baylor game, the offensive line wasn't great, but also I don't think Devin Neal looked like he was hundred percent either. And then all yep. of a sudden you come off the bye week and you see the explosiveness. And I wondered to myself when I was watching some of the kind of the first games of the season and then you watch some of the pre-bye week stuff like you're thinking man it still doesn't look like Devin looks like he did last year just at times where last year he would just break free on these runs and you're like wow like that is an incredible play and it just didn't feel like outside of the Tennessee Tech game that there were many of those plays and then sure enough I mean how many explosive runs did he have I don't have time to go back and look through it but I mean just explosive play after explosive play yeah. after explosive play and then he also carried the ball 32 times and caught the ball six times, almost 40 touches. That is incredible. He's going to have an, a good old ice bath, I'm sure, last night, and I'm sure the team workout today, 
they <laughs> kind of manage his load because that's a career high workload and that's more workload he had yesterday than I think he had probably over the final two games before the bye week. And if you want to account for kind of total touches, maybe even the final three games before the bye week. Yeah, I think the last running back at Kansas to get that many rushes in a game, not even counting mm. the the load in the passing game, I believe is Khalil Herbert um, against West Virginia mm-hmm. when he had like that 291 yard game. Uh, I you know Herbert had I think 35, 36 carries in that game. He also didn't catch the ball, you know, as many times as Neil did, or or have the the impact that Neil had in, in the passing game. And you know, we talk a lot about stuff on the field here, obviously, but you know, covering Devin Neal as a recruit, you talk to him, you know, pretty much every week for for KU football. This is a kid from Lawrence mm. who desperately wanted to come to Kansas and be a foundational point for Kansas turning things around. And he was a guy that that committed to less miles, you know, and you know, wanted to wanted to come and said, I, I see something in Lawrence. I don't understand, or I see something in Kansas. I don't understand why Kansas can't be good. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, to sort of see the vision and all of that there where he saw it before it was there. And he had this goal that he was going to help Kansas, you know, become significantly better because Devin Neal could have gone elsewhere. You know, I mean, he was, he was a big back with a, with a lot of athleticism. I think in high school, he was 218 pounds. Um, He's lost some weight, you know, at at Kansas and and trimmed down a little bit, but I think he was also like a four, four, eight guy as well. I mean, he just a really good running back prospect. And when you look at, when you look at what he was, what Kansas has been able to do, mm. if you would have shown that to 17-year-old Devin Neal, I, I think he would have been more likely to be able to predict that or say, because you talked to him in high school and he was like, well, I, I don't see why not. And, and mm. so how special do you think that this is for him to, to be here his second year, Kansas is going to a bowl game and and not to, you know, we usually break these down game by game, but Michael, Kansas could return 10 of its 11 offensive starters next year. So this could just be the start of something. It could. And college football is about stories, right? Mm-hmm. You only get 12 Saturdays. It's not the NFL, right, where they play an exorbitant amount of games and it's taking several months. Like college football is three months and it's about stories and local kids making an impact at their hometown school is one of the best parts about college football. It doesn't happen in the NFL, right? It's very rare that a player like Kenny Pickett, for example, goes to play at Pitt and then goes to the Steelers. That doesn't happen. And so for a guy like Devin Neal to have that performance in that moment on that game with those stakes, right? Getting the team that he grew up rooting for to bowl eligibility, right? I don't even know if Devin Neal would really even remember 2008 in the bowl, right? I haven't talked about it specifically, but you're talking about someone that was young at that point. And to do it and have him be the one is special. And I think it's one of the cool parts about college football. You know, we've talked about that before, about college game day and the different parts about this season that have been so cool. And I think that having Devin Neal be the one that did that, I think speaks volumes about him 
but also I think just it's just such a cool moment. And I hope it gets the recognition nationally that it deserves because it does. Because like you said, Neil was a an incredibly highly thought of recruit, right? Yeah. But didn't get a ton of offers. I think a part of that is because a lot of people had an idea that, hey, this guy's going to go he's to locked Lawrence in. and he's going to go yep. play for Kansas. Yep. And I think that impacts the offer list. And I don't think that should take away from how good he was as a high school recruit. And so I think overall, it's just such a cool moment and a cool thing that he's the one that kind of sparked this and propelled this. And if it wasn't Devin Neal there, I'm not sure if KU has this type of offensive performance and maybe the, you know, playing in all three phases doesn't happen. So I think for me, it's just so cool and so special that it was Devin Neal, the guy that kind of was the catalyst here. And recruiting wise, you know, Coaches sell that to players, right? The hometown hero thing. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, if you if you come here as a as a state of Kansas guy, you know, you're you're gonna be huge. And I think, you know, K-State probably used that with Avery Johnson. You know, I know Kansas used that when it was recruiting Amani Bledsoe, who was, you know, one of the top couple guys in the state. Kansas is after some guys like BJ Kennedy and Jaden Woods in 2025 and guys who are the top guys in their class like Devin Neal was in his mm-hmm. class, it's not a bad tool to have in your tool belt to be able to go back to those guys and say, Devin was the number one guy in his Kansas class. He just did this amazing thing, led Kansas to a bowl game. Look at the way that he's treated, revered, all of these different things. That could be you too. Yeah, and it's cool. And so, yeah, I think overall the, the Neil angle is awesome. Um, I guess taking a step back now. Sure. You know, Kansas is bowl eligible. Yeah. When you think about this, I guess, what do you think is the biggest part of it? I've got a few thoughts, but when you think Kansas bowl eligibility and the impact it has on the program, what do you feel like is the biggest biggest kind of aspect of that? Well, I think there are two things. Um, and uh, I don't want to steal your thunder on either one of these, but, you know, I – the, the most obvious one is you have that to be able to tell people. And I know that that's, that sounds like a, a small thing or whatever, mm. but it's no longer since 2008. No. It's no longer nobody has won here since 2008. Mm-mm. You have a recent point of interest that you can say to people, hey, Kansas can win here. We know because it happened last year. Or, you know, it, it happened, you know, recently. And, and even beyond that, we talked before the season started and we said, we don't know how many wins Kansas is going to have this year. The main thing that we wanted to see was we wanted to see them be more competitive. Yep. And we wanted to see them have a point of improvement that they could then build on and take on the recruiting trail where they basically said, hey, you know, maybe maybe they win – four games or what it is, but four is more than two. And you could go to people and say, Hey, look at this. We're, we're taking a step forward. You wanted to be able to say you're taking that step forward. This is such an obvious step forward to, to go bowling and all that. And the other thing that's, you know, just as big, and I'm sure you're going to mention this. So I'll, I'll touch on it just real quickly and then shoot it over to you those extra practices Mm -hmm. and extra practices for a team that has still has a number of young players, one, but two, a lot of guys who are coming back next year. What, what, what are your thoughts on on this? I think you, you hit the part for me is the most important, which is the practices. 
I'm going to pull up for our YouTube audience here a quote from Lance Leipold from earlier this week that I used. I asked him about how big it would be if Kansas made a bowl game, and I thought it was just fascinating. And I'll read a snippet here for the, the podcast audience, but you know, he talks about it basically saying it's big and super important and, quote, it's the extra practices and development. It's not the banging around. It's the time to work, the confidence, experience, going against the speed, all those things that you want. And many times the teams that are the ones in the games consistently have a tendency to keep that gap wider and wider on programs that don't. That, for me, is the biggest part. Yep. Iowa State is not making a bowl game. West Virginia is not making a bowl game. Texas Tech might. We'll see. The teams that KU is going to have to compete against in years to come in terms of maintaining bowl eligibility year in and year out, those teams are not going to have those practices. And it's so imperative that Kansas, with the returning production it's going to have, that they are able to do that. And Lance has talked a lot about building quality depth. It's something that he's talked about since the start of preseason. They've worked really hard to do that. And how do you build quality depth? getting extra practices because I think we talked about this maybe after Baylor that those practices aren't even more so getting rich Miller snaps. It's getting those younger linebackers yeah. snaps or getting those younger defensive linemen snaps, right? It's about getting Tommy done more time with the first defense. It's things like that that help you build that quality depth. It's getting Mason Ellis snaps at safety, Brian Doerr snaps at cornerback. Those Even are the snaps at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, true. Yeah, as well, right? So that you know, we'll see what happens with Jason Bean after the season, and he has a decision to make. He can come back for a super senior season. He could go grad transfer somewhere. He has a decision to make, right? Jason Bean is a good quarterback, sure. and I'm sure college football programs would like to have him. Does he want to come back and do this again next year? I, I don't know. I'm not going to speak for him, but that would be crucial time to get Ethan Vasco more time in the offense. And so for me, when I think about it. That is probably the biggest thing is just the extra practices to build the depth, to continue to build the culture. I think that's a huge yeah. part of this is continuing to build the culture, get that winning taste in your mouth, right? This team has been really good at putting wins behind them and even putting losses behind them. But to have this experience of getting those extra practices, the extra time together, Lance kind of joked that these players don't understand it. They're going to get another month of just being together, period as yep. a team. And it's clear that this team likes being around each other. I've been, you can sense when a football team doesn't really care for each other. This is legit. You know, you can see it. You can see the reaction on the sideline after Rich Miller gets the interception. These guys care about each other. And I think getting that extra time to help continue to build that culture and that bond within each player, that's going to help further develop this kind of player led leadership program that Lance Leipold wants. And then of course you can get into the recruiting side of things, right? Saying, sure. Hey, we went to a bowl game in our second season, think about what happens when we get you in here. You know, I can go on a whole recruiting pitch right now that I'm sure the coaches are giving. That's huge. Yeah. I think just in terms of brand awareness, right? Being out there, having kind of that Jayhawk logo on one of these bowl games that is on some network in December, right? With the way sports gambling is going these days, people are going to bet on that game. And it's just going to get more people interested in the program, more people having eyes on the program. And so – I just think overall, there's not a bad part about having the bowl game. You know, maybe I'm being negative. Maybe you have a little bit less time to go portaling and do portal stuff. But I mean, shoot, the staff has shown that they can go do portal stuff midseason, right? You look at yep. Kobe Baines, they're in the middle of camp and they go get him on. They go get him from Louisville. You look at Logan Brown from Wisconsin, they're in the middle of the bye week and they're like, hey, come on a visit. He comes on a visit, commits. Like 
the staff can still manage that. So I just think overall there, there's no negative sides of having Kansas get to a bowl game and to have it be in the second season, I think is just, it's so crucial for the program to maintain this. And I wrote about a little bit post game. They took down the goalposts. And I think that signified more than just Saturday's game, but kind of putting the end to what has been the worst decade in potentially college football history. Yeah. And, and certainly it. KU football history. I mean, and, and here's the thing that a lot of people tend to forget when Mark Mangino, um, fired, resigned, whatever you want to want to call it. I don't remember the exact terminology now, but when all of that happened and Kansas turned the page to turn Gill, Kansas was an above 500 football program mm -hmm. for its history. Now, granted, like Kansas was strong in its early years. And so that that's part of it. But at the same time, you know, over the course of what, you know, 80, 90 years, longer than that, actually, 100 years, plus years probably at that point you're an above 500 program. And then you think about the last decade, just how far below 500 Kansas has been, you know, no bowl games, no seasons where you win more than yeah. three games. I mean, and, and so you, you add all of that and just kind of throwing that out the window. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that's going to be kind of fun about this, just sort of off topic, college football coaches sometimes talk about there being three seasons, right? You have the season opener, which you have like months and months and months and months and months to prepare for. You have the next 11 games that are basically a week to week thing. And then you have a bowl game where, again, you have extended time to prepare and all of this. Is it important for Kansas to win a bowl game? You'd obviously like to win your bowl game. The bigger thing is, I would almost guarantee we're going to see Andy Kotelnicki come up with some really fun stuff, and and and, the, and like and that's going to be amazing because that's why people watch bowl games, right? And so it's December twenty seventh or twenty eighth. You know, you're done with with family Christmas. You flip on the game, and here's you know, Kansas running like a, a reverse pass back to the quarterback or something like that. And, and people in recruits see that, right? And they mm -hmm. say, oh my gosh, like not only did, is Kansas in a bowl game, they're, they're kind of fun. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's a chance to put your, your program on a stage that, that it isn't normally on because every Saturday that you play, there's so many other games. And, and so most of the people who watch your game are going to be fans of either team with the possible exception of if it's like a national, national game. But even in like the thick of bowl season, you're not competing with that many other programs for your television spot. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of eyes for people who just say, hey, what bowl game is on right now? flip it on and yep. Kansas is on TV and the value of that. I, I don't think that you can oversell that to have your program, have that sort of, of launching pad to, to kind of show people what you're about. Yep. I totally agree. And I have one more question and then we'll, we'll get out of here. All right. Now there's a decision to make Yep. for Lance Leipold, Jalen Daniels or Jason B next week. Right. I, we don't know, you know, I reported kind of midweek that, Hey, Jason Bean will start this week. We'll see if, you can get word like that again this week, but 
if indeed Jalen Daniels is available to play on Saturday, who are you starting? Uh, I think if Jalen is at the point that he can play and you don't have any worries or whatever else, I still think you start Jalen. Mm-hmm. And I think for a couple reasons, one of which is I think he's your starting quarterback, and I think that Kansas is better when Jalen Daniels is in. That's mm-hmm. really easy. But I think the other thing, Michael, is with the way with the situation and the way that position is gone, the other team is forced to spend a lot of preparation time for Jason Bean. And so by playing Jalen Daniels, even if people think on Wednesday, hey, it's likely that Jalen might play, they heard that from different sources this week. You know, I'm not saying they were all correct or whatever else, but I'm saying it was out there. And so I think that you they prepare for both, but I think that you get sort of more pop in terms of them not really being prepared for what a certain guy can bring mm. when it's Jalen Daniels. And I think, too, you know, you talk about teams with that have a lot of speed, right? And you get on the field against them, and they say, we were not ready for their speed. Their speed surprises. There was no way for us – to prepare for what we were facing. I think you have some of that with Jalen and not necessarily Mm -hmm. for speed aspect, but in terms of people don't realize that, Hey, I'm a cornerback. If I let up on my route or if I let up on the guy that I'm defending 40 yards downfield, Jalen Daniels can still hit that guy. He has that arm strength. He has the arm strength to take advantage of, you know, minor coverage breaks and things like that. You know, on option plays, he's more difficult to tackle than maybe what you think or you prepared for. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that, you know, he's somebody that you get a little bit more pop from if you play him as opposed to to Jason being in one of those situations where maybe a team is preparing to face both of them. What do you think? I disagree. Oh, I think I think you have to start Jason Bean and not necessarily because Jason is a better quarterback. It's for the culture. Jason Bean has done nothing to deserve losing a starting spot. And you can't hand a starting spot to someone else just because they're back healthy. That's where I come from on this. Lance Leibold's talked a lot about earning it and being there day in and day out and earning it. And Jason Bean earned another start on Saturday. Sure, the offense helped, but the offense helped Jalen Daniels early in the season too, right? We've talked about that, the run game with Daniel Hyshaw and how good he was. I think for me, you look at this game on Saturday – Jason Bean has to start. Just my opinion. I think it's a bad look in terms of just the broader culture of the program. How are you going to tell someone, you know, you got to fight for your spot and and go grind and compete, but Jalen's going to come back and yeah, yeah, he's, he's going to start, even though Jason did nothing last week to deserve losing his starting spot. That's the way that I approach this. And if things go haywire in, in Lubbock next weekend, cool. Bring in Jalen Daniels. What did Jason Bean show you against TCU? You can come in and drop basically 30 points and a half, right? You can do this in this offense. And I don't think Texas Tech's defense is anything to write home about either. So when I look at this game, I I don't think there's really even a choice. If you're going to preach culture and competition, the player that won you your sixth game of the season and played a really solid game and barely made any mistakes – I don't know if you can tell him, no, we're going to go back to the other guy who hasn't played in a month. So I guess that's kind of where I come from on this. And 
it's maybe less so about, Hey, who's a better quarterback. It's more so about, Hey, you're still building this and you have to make the right decisions culture wise to set the tone for weeks, months, seasons to come. Yeah. I think I see it a, a little bit differently in that, you know, there's the old saying you shouldn't lose your spot due to injury either. And, and last time we saw Jalen Daniels, I mean, he was, he struggled in the first half against TCU, but generally speaking, Jalen Daniels was was nails before he got hurt. And so if you're looking at where Jalen was before he got hurt, mm-hmm. where Jason Bean is now, I, I don't have a problem with them opening it up and saying, hey, Jalen, you're healthy. Jason Bean is, you know, has been our guy. Let's compete for this week and see who the starter is. I don't have a problem mm-hmm. with that. I think yeah, sure. I think one of the issues with saying, okay, Jason Bean was really good this past week, he should get the start the next week, is it also ignores Jason Bean against Baylor and Jason Bean against Oklahoma, where he was, it wasn't that he was bad. We've said this before. It's not that he was bad. It was just he didn't quite give you enough of what you needed to win those football games. And so I do think it's an interesting discussion. And I do think, to your point about culture, maybe a competition is – the best way to go that week and you can and that way when you sit the guys down you know both of them from both sides you can look at Jalen you can say Jalen you know we hoped you were ready for this Jason was better in practice this week we're gonna we're gonna roll with Jason right now or you can say it the other way like Jason you've given us great stuff we you know we opened it up we made this thing 50 50 or whatever and 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 Jalen wound up winning this, but it's, it's an interesting discussion because I do agree with you culture. It runs the edge of a knife, right? Like it's one of those things where it's very easy to fall off and and you don't want to make the kind of decisions where guys can look at it later and be like, okay, like he's telling me if I do the right things, then, uh, then I'll be rewarded for it down the line Mm -hmm. and then have him say, but what happened to this guy? Yeah. I also don't think we should do revisionist history with Jalen. He was bad against Iowa State, and it was bad in the first half against TCU. So you're looking at the two Big 12 defenses really outside of West Virginia, and he struggled. You know, here here are his stats for the final six quarters before he got hurt. 50% completion, right? 182 yards total on 24 attempts with 15 yards rushing on 15 attempts. Yeah. I mean, like, just for me, like, it's not like Jalen Daniels was tearing the world up, right? If the injury happened against Houston and that's the level he was playing at, sure, totally. I understand it, right? Yep. I just think for me, you look at – if you're going to look at the the data points of what's happened most recently, Jalen Daniels was not great right before he got hurt. And that's Jason Bean wasn't great to start, but he's been better now. And I think your point about doing a, a midweek competition works because guess what? Both guys know the offense. It's not like the offensive line needs time to figure it out. The wide receivers sure don't need time to figure it out. Like they've been around both these guys for so long. So I think overall, it's just a fascinating decision on my point. But um, any more thoughts from you before we get out of here? No, I, I don't think so. I, I think we we hit a lot of this stuff. You know, it's, it, it's so funny because I, I think we've talked, again, about complimentary football and about the fact that 
even when Kansas is running for two or three yards of carry on first down or second down and people are getting mad and throwing stuff around their room because they're like, just throw the ball. You wanted to be able to sort of bleed the clock and make sure your defense was in a good spot. And people don't necessarily look at it that way. Against Oklahoma State, Kansas just didn't even make that a discussion Mm -hmm. because they ran the ball so well averaged so many yards per play. What were they at? Almost nine, I think. Over eight, I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, good. But, you know, you 8.0 yards yards per play. There so, yeah, go. it's – so, yeah, when you, when you look at that, that was what it looks like when Kansas wins a football game, when Kansas runs the ball effectively, when Kansas converts big third downs, when Kansas's defense is opportunistic – and also doesn't allow explosive plays. If you were to say to me, hey, is there a version of this Kansas team that can win one of these last few games? I think you saw it on Saturday. Yep, I agree. I think you saw the recipe for success. Well, thank you as always for listening to the Fog.net podcast. If you're listening on any sort of podcast platform, please leave us a rating and review. And then head over to our YouTube channel, The Fog, Kansas Basketball and Football Coverage. Subscribe, like. We've got plenty of YouTube content. We've got a video of fans tearing down the goalpost and putting it in Potter Lake. Caroline Soar, our video intern, uh, took a video of that and followed the fans and got all that stuff. We've got uh, other videos we have up there. And if you're watching on YouTube, head over to your podcast platform of choice and look up uh, The Fog, a Kansas Athletics podcast as well. Uh, Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll have a midweek podcast coming your way, probably some basketball stuff maybe after the game on Monday too. So busy times ahead, busy times. Thanks always for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.